to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, your host. Joining me today, Mr. Mark J. Spears, Yahoo Sports. What's going on, Mark? This is cool being next to a TV star. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Mark, you have been covering the NBA for a long time. You know George Carl well. We have this situation brewing here that, that just won't go away in Sacramento. DeMarcus Cousins, Rajon Rondo, George Carl. And you wrote this great piece last week about sort of this meeting that these guys had, and maybe they're putting some things together. They're, they're having some open lines of communication. Tell me a little bit about what was going on with that. Well, you know, I think, um, you know, Rondo is it's kind of getting older. You know, I've known him since the beginning of his career. Uh, when he was a rookie, when he was behind Sebastian Telfair and uh, barely playing and, and saw him grow into, covered him when he won a championship as a starting point guard for the Celtics and rose to all-star stardom. And, you know, I think after things went down the wrong way in Dallas and he came here, grew up a lot. Um, saw perhaps some of the mistakes that he made or how he could have handled things better or how things could have been handled better. And um, he's brought a, a leadership that he actually, I think, learned from Kevin Garnett uh, to Sacramento. And he's like, look, I, I want to make, this is Rondo's words, make, you know, cousins go on a, the right path and not do some of the things that I did. And so um, he's like, you know, hey, I, I can't fix what, he did in the past or anything like that but you know hopefully he could learn from my mistakes and you know go straighter in the future so I think Rondo has been constantly in his ear you know about being a leader and and what that means um, it's not just showing up for the game it's off the court too and and so it seems like Cousins is starting to listen and uh, he told him that you know the way he handled things with George Carl definitely could have been handled better probably better one-on-one -on -one than in front of the team. And um, now going to the story, I know I'm kind of long-winded on this, but. That's all right. Um, he, and he basically told Cousins after a film session, which they were frustrated about some things, hey, let's talk to George. So they grabbed George in, in Milwaukee recently and they sat down, which was supposed to be, you know, a 15 minute interview ended up being two hours. And uh, I think it helped George and Cuz get on the same page in a lot of ways, and um, they wanted to run more. And George was like, "Well, I need you to do some things too." So there's some compromise there, and uh, I know their goal is to meet every week. So um, it wasn't forced; it was natural and it was positive. And so I think Rondo, in a, in a some kind of a mediator way, is bringing those two guys together a little bit too. And uh, those are the three power players of the Kings, and they seem like they're going in the right direction. How surprising is it to you that it's Rondo leading this? And, I mean, you've seen him from, you know, his nexus in the league to where he is now. Um, I'm not surprised because I've seen veteran players as they get older or they get wiser and they become more appreciative of their time in the league and how they got there, um, especially when they're – you know, reach their prime, or for some guys, even they think that there might be a little bit of a decline. And um, so they're wiser, smarter, they're older. Um, I'm sure there's some things where, you know, 
we'd like to go back in our path and past and change when stupid stuff I did when I was 21 or 24. You know, I'd like to go back and talk to that guy. You know, I'm doing okay now, but he, he made some mistakes, you know, and and I think Rondo sees that. And, and so he came to Sacramento, I think, for a good time for the franchise and a good time for DeMarcus Cousins. Now, Cousins has not always been receptive to this type of conversation. He's, he's always said, I want to do it on my terms. I, I don't want to change. I want to be who I am. Is he figuring out that who he is needs to adapt in order to survive? Well, I think with Rondo having a championship, having played in two finals, he, he has uh, four all-star appearances, um, played with some of the best, long list of great players. And his locker is right next to Cousins' locker, which I think was smart move by the Kings. I, how could you not respect the guy? And, and Rondo certainly isn't one to mince his, his words. He, he will certainly tell you how he feels. And um, I, I just think that a veteran needed to come in here that forces respect. You know what I mean? And, and, and certainly Cousins did that the same way that when, you know, I was – a couple years ago when Jermaine O'Neal came in to Golden State, he, at one point there was an argument that he was top three, top two players in the league. And, you know, he, he had some, a bunch of all-stars and success, success. And when the Warriors were trying to get over that hump the year before uh, they made it to the finals, you know, Jermaine O'Neal was that guy. Rondo's that guy for them. And um, I think he appreciates uh, an opportunity to play with, perhaps the best big man in the league. And um, uh, it's funny, some people probably see him as an odd couple, but I think they're a perfect couple for each other. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you've seen them grow together. It's clearly, it's a shared experience thing, which I think that Cousins needed. He needed someone who has been through the battles and been through the scrutiny that he has, and Rondo really found that for him. Now, the third guy in that meeting, you also have a long, long-term relationship with. How does George take this? And, you know, George is really, he's gotten beat down a little bit here in Sacramento for his ways and for his handling into Marcus and sort of his handling off the court of maybe not wanting Cousins here. How has George taken to this meeting and other meetings? Oh, he was, I think he dug it, you know, because it was positive and it was constructive and it was basketball. It, it was a um, very mature meeting. Um, and uh, I think all three parties got a lot out of it and, and, and got to know each other better, grow. And, and the one thing that's key in everything is life is communication. So I think the communication got stronger. You know, I asked George while I was writing, working on that story, like, why are you even coaching anymore? Like, why are you doing this? And he's like, I just, when, I, when he lost his job in Denver, he truly missed coaching. He missed it. And, um, so even with the turmoil that has happened, he realized how much he loves coaching and he doesn't want to lose that right now. Um, you know, this is, he, he's coached guys like World Be Free and I believe um, Joe Barry Carroll and Gary Payton and Allen Iverson and Carmelo Anthony and uh, Sean Kemp. He, he's coached some eccentric players before. So I don't think Cousins... Uh, persona scares him. He, he's been around Glenn Robinson and Ray Allen. He's, he's been around everybody. Um, 
I think that situation was tough. I think he realized he caused some of it too, you know. And um, but now, uh, I think in a lot of a lot of ways, everybody got everything off their chest. So now it's cousin said what we had to say, George said what he had to say, Rondo said what he had to say, and now they can focus on basketball. And it appears that they've been playing better because of it. All right, so George, he's delegated a lot. The the two bouts with cancer has taken a lot out of him. Uh, you've seen young George versus where he is now. Um, do you think that delegating is part of the issue here where he sort of had a separation between him and the players to a certain degree, with Chad Iskey doing most of the talking, most of the, the direction, and him kind of being the guy standing back? Do you think maybe that hurt him a little bit developing this tight bond with this group? Mm. I mean, it's kind of hard to know unless you're sitting on the bench how much is being said and how much is talked. Um, I, I know Chad really well. I've known him since the beginning of his career. And I think George just gives his assistants a lot of leeway, a lot of confidence to say things. Uh, so I, I think maybe people seeing the fact that George isn't standing and just because you're stomping, on your, stomping your feet and yelling doesn't mean you're saying anything worthwhile. So to me, and maybe this is the former player, college player, I mean, I didn't play in the NBA, but I played in college. Unless you're in that huddle, unless you're in that locker room, unless one of the players says it on the record or even off the record, it's hard to tell, you know, how much impact the coach does or doesn't have, uh, especially during the game. So, you know, there's some people on TV, they yell and scream, but are they really saying anything? You know, you know what I mean? So I can't watch reality show. Like, what are you talking about? They're just yelling and screaming for nothing. Um, so that's why I think maybe some of that could be overrated. But um, I think it's hard to really tell, you know? All right, so Rondo came here to Sacramento searching for, I don't know, a little redemption, a little bit of himself, uh, a little bit of money. I mean, a lot of things. I mean, I think Rondo came here searching for and it seems like the one thing he has found is his game. And I think he's growing every day. You're watching the creativity grow and grow and grow as the season uh, sort of, you know, goes on. And you're seeing him getting more and more comfortable with his teammates. And that is equating to some really beautiful basketball, some incredible things on the court. Is he going to be here long term? Do you, You've talked to these guys. Do you feel like they're going to be here? He's going to be here long term? You know, there's going to be some people trying to get him away. And I think if this if this experience is positive the rest of the way, you know the Kings are going to take care of him. They're going to give him money. They could give him more money than anybody else. He loves playing with cousins. They're going into a new arena. He loves being in California. You know this isn't L.A. or San Francisco, but it's still California. And if he wants to be in those places, it's not hard to get to. Um, I mean, he's a businessman. He t he told me any. When I did ask him that straight up, he, said he, he didn't give a strong commitment, but he said anything is possible. So I, I do think that the Kings are probably his first choice. And if something's going well, I think it's hard to make a change, you know? It's really difficult to make a change. So I, I, I wouldn't say that it's a definite that he's coming back, but I do think the Kings are in the driver's seat. He's, he's, he gets along well with George Carl. George Carl is a point guard's coach. Um, and that's something that you got to look at. I mean, the only coach that he that, that that he loves more than anybody, 
uh, Doc Rivers, he got Chris Paul. So he's not going to be playing for Doc anytime soon unless he wants to back up Chris Paul, which I know he doesn't want to do. Uh, so knowing what happened in, in Dallas, I think he appreciates the fact that, you know, if you got a system that works for you and you got a star that you could grow with um, and you could bring others and you could get picks and they're trying and next year you're going to have a beautiful arena, I think in a lot of ways it will be hard for him to say no as long as things continue to be positive. All right, last question. we got a game to get to here. Uh, you've seen this team really go through some bad times. I mean, 1-7 to start, but I, I don't know that – uh, seven and fifteen was any worse yeah. than one. It, it was even any better. Can this team turn things around with these guys pulling together? Which it seems like because, to me, the one issue that I've seen you watch a team like the Utah Jazz come in here. You got fifteen guys playing their heart out for Quinn Snyder. You come to the Sacramento Kings, and I don't know that I've seen during this season fifteen guys pulling for George Carl, and that's something that you need. Can they pull this thing together? Well, these guys, for the most part, most of this team isn't anybody that should ever have their their play questioned. This isn't an NBA championship team. A lot of these guys uh, could be out of the league tomorrow. So uh, if there is a question about whether these guys are, are playing hard or not, that, that definitely is, you know, you got to be professional no matter who, how you feel about a player or a coach or whatever. So it those if if those guys aren't doing that this isn't you know there's somebody that will take their place in a heartbeat and i'm sure vlade will find somebody to do that um to me the key is cousin's health you know as long as this team is healthy as long as he's healthy most notably if he and rondo and rudy are healthy they're capable of beating anybody on any given night but to me right now that's probably the biggest opponent it more than anything is is health all right, Mark J. Spears, Yahoo Sports. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, brother. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me for this second segment, like always, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. What's up, baby? We're working hard over here. I'd like the people of Sacramento and the people around the world to know that we're working hard to get this podcast to you. It's been a couple of tries. This has been this like the most difficult uh, technical difficulty <laughs> morning of podcasting of all time. Um, just one of those days, one of those days where the Yeti doesn't want to work and then you got to relocate to different rooms and yeah, we're having one of those mornings folks. Uh, of course we are recording the podcast on Friday morning because we had a very, very late New York Knicks, Sacramento Kings, TNT game. TNT game didn't start till at least like 745, 750. Uh, and then of course, commercial break after commercial break after commercial break. You know, I, I always think about this when you get like two TNT games a year, one TNT game a year like the Sacramento Kings do, and usually it's against a team that gets like eight of them, and they're all like chilling out, sitting there, like it's almost like they're hanging out on a street corner, and your players don't understand like the elongated TV breaks, and they're like like nervous energy wandering the court, and it's just such an advantage to know how to play in those games, and the Kings don't ever get those games so they don't really know how to prepare for a game like that the tnt elongated tnt game so uh interesting game though it, it, it was a fun game to watch a good game uh we had chuck and and chris weber calling the game with marv albert i, I didn't get to hear any of that but 
there were a lot of Kings fans that were not too happy about Charles Barkley, uh, his his call of the game. But I, I, I'm not sure. What did you take away from that game, Aaron? Uh, I I love listening to Charles. Charles could talk about you know watching paint dry, and even if he's ripping on Sacramento, which he probably stepped up his commentary on Sacramento. I think he said that it was a underrated city that he wouldn't stay in or he wouldn't live in, but it's underrated. Um, Chuck is not built for color uh, commentary at all, and I think, and then he finished it off with some political commentary. Which, you know, I, I agreed with a lot of it, but I think a lot of people don't want to get political commentary with their sports, but that's another commenta- uh, conversation for another time. The TNT aspect of the game, definitely, I mean, there was a lot of pep in, in, the, in the step of the Kings players, and um, the nervous energy thing you're talking about, definitely, especially with a team that hasn't proven that they know how to win, all that stuff comes into play, and I think it was an electric environment. Yeah, yeah, I definitely thought that... Uh... The Kings fought hard. They had some moments of weakness. Uh, we're seeing them have, again, this this surge in the third quarter, which has typically really helped them, propelled them into a good situation going into the fourth. Uh, they led by as many as 19 in the third quarter last night. And, of course, they, they gave it all away and, and almost gave up the game. And if it wasn't for Carmelo Anthony being like a selfish uh you know me 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 guy they they probably would have at least had overtime <laughs> because he had some wide open guys while he stood there and dribbled out the clock and, and took a a three pointer for the win but but the kings also had some moments in that game and we're seeing more moments from Rajon Rondo and my goodness he had that dunk uh, basically he tried to feed cousins in the post he tried to feed him tried to feed him and the knicks basically collapsed on Cousins and double teamed him and so Rondo took it baseline and I don't think anyone in uh, the U.S. knew that Rondo could still get up and hammer down a ball and hang on the rim like that. I was re-watching it and it's not the greatest dunk in the world but when it happened it I felt like the Kevin Johnson dunk just happened uh, <laughs> because of the way it looked and the way he spun after he grabbed the rim. It just was very powerful. Um, what happened there was the Knicks, and this is why Rondo is a good basketball player, is the Knicks were fronting the post, and he took it baseline both times. And when you front the post in a two-man game, you always take it baseline because the fronter can't do anything about it. And if the fronter does somehow recover and go baseline, you've got your big man there for just a little slip pass and a dunk. So... Again, and we'll probably get into this, you know, anything involving DeMarcus Cousins standing in the area of the post is something that the Kings should be doing. Yeah, you're going to shine a light on that. I, I I know that is coming. I know that's coming. Oh, that is coming. <laughs> <laughs> all right, before we get to all that, because we got a lot to talk about about Kings basketball, let's touch base on on the first half of the podcast, the, uh, the interview with Mark J. Spears. I, uh, you know, I... I like Mark. We're 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 buddies. Uh, that was so insightful, man. He was good, and he really brought his A game. And what I like about Spears in this situation is he tells a story that it's really difficult to tell because um, he has. I mean, first of all, he got that story, and uh, we won't talk about how he got that story, how he got the information that that Rondo and Cousins had met with Carl after 
uh, I think it was after the Bucks game. Um, I, that why he got that story and how he got that story is a whole other story, uh, and we're not going to get into that. But uh, the fact that he honestly, and as a as a reporter who covers the Kings, I, I hate saying this, he was the right guy to get that story. And the reason why he's the right guy to get that story is he covered uh, Rajon Rondo as a rookie and as a young player. While they won their championships, Mark was there in Boston covering them. He also spent years at the Denver Post covering George Carl. Him and George have a very, very good, long-standing relationship. And so he's kind of the right guy to, to write that story because... Anyone could have got that story and anyone could have asked the questions, but not everyone would have got the right answers that Mark got. And that's because he has such long-standing relationships with two of the three pieces. And of course, you know, Cousins doesn't dislike Mark, which Cousins does dislike a lot of other writers. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was a perfect melding of a guy who just happens to have relationships with with some of the key components of the story and it really played well they were really honest and open with him well and on top of that mark has been pretty critical of the kings for the last year or so um not so much in print but if you hear him on radio interviews you know i'll be driving throughout the bay area and it's been a very dismissive take that he's had and to hear him in that interview and and believe that there are forward steps being taken in the relationship between all of these guys um and for a guy that's so close, you know, to to them, you know, in particular, George, that's good. You know, you want the national media out there telling that story. And so that's my biggest takeaway from that is just that the um, it, it's the, the ship is slowly, tar- slowly starting to turn for these guys. And, you know, we're about, what, 25 games through the season. Mm-hmm. we're at the point where they they either have to turn it the right direction or, you know, things can start to unravel. It still feels like a must win game. every. Yeah. And we've talked about the shared experience issue with DeMarcus cousins and, and Rondo, how cousins has gravitated towards him, how he is a star. Number one, number two, he's a guy who's had a lot of scrutiny and uh, you know, Rondo's not easy to deal with all the time. He, he's some nights like, he didn't like that the focus was on the dunk uh, last night, um, and so he really kind of he gave you a lot of one-word answers when it came to the actual dunk itself. But he is a very uh, I don't know introspective guy who who has a lot to say, who has a lot to give, who has been through. He's made a ton of mistakes in in his playing days, and I really feel like he he's paying it forward when it comes to cousins that he really feels like he owes it to himself, to the game, uh, to Kevin Garnett, to to everyone involved to to give back and to be a, a better NBA citizen and to impart some of his knowledge from mistakes he's made onto others. And I think that's a really, it's, it's a noble thing for Rondo and I, and I like that he's doing it. Um, and overall, I think that this can work. And I, I asked Mark about whether he thought Rondo would stay. I thought that that was good. I, I think he believes he'll stay. I think the Kings, I mean, I know firsthand, uh, the Kings love Rondo and they would love to re-sign him. 
long term. Uh, of course, we'll have to see how this whole season plays out to see how much that guy's going to get. Um, but I mean, he's at least worth 15 million a year at this point in my book, and that might creep up closer to 20 by the thing that, by the time this thing's all said and done. Now, I'm going to get a little queasy when I hear those numbers because of his age and his ability to uh, maintain his high level of play. And I got I to gotta talk for a sec because I've, I've kind of come off as the anti-Rondo guy. And I find myself anytime the Kings win and Rondo puts up a triple-double, you know, taking the commentary on, on the internet from guys like, ah, look at Rondo, you suck, that whole bit. Um, Rondo, <laughs> like everybody else on this team, as we said numerous times over the summer, they all need each other. They're all a perfect fit for each other. And the one thing about Rondo as a pickup, I said, is if it if it's a DeMarcus Cousins thing, then it's a good pickup no matter what. If it helps DeMarcus Cousins get through his progression as an NBA player, it does not matter. Uh, you, you could almost put zeros and help DeMarcus Cousins, then he'd be worth the money this year and worth the... the um, the whole experience and the Rondo experience is that he takes over the entire team, the entire offense. Um, really the team becomes, uh, you know, the, the, the team is built in his image. And so Rondo, when Rondo, do, right. When Rondo does well, the team looks amazing. When Rondo does poorly, the team looks terrible and he's going to get his stats every game, no matter what he's a rebounder, which is one of the things I like about him. And because the ball's in his hands all game long and he's forcing the action, he's going to get 10 assists every game. He's going to have a triple-double every night. And he's, he's sort of a gambler on defense. He's going to get a couple steals as well. So the stats will always be there. It's just a question of when he makes that Rondo-esque pass and maybe it, it puts the guy in a good position to score. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a good pass in theory but not in practice. There's, there's all sorts of different shades of gray to Rondo's game that he has to work out to make, this isn't the Boston Celtics, but to make the Kings, you know, a team with question marks all over the place, to make them a, um, you know, an eight seed, a seven seed. He's going to have to find out how can he iron the wrinkles out of his game. And in particular, with George Carl wanting to keep DeMarcus Cousins at the three-point line, how is he going to force the action to, the, to to where DeMarcus Cousins and the Kings get back to what's going to work, which is moving him to the post so that so they can be a more consistent offensive team? You know, I, I think when I'm watching him and, and as he's getting more and more comfortable with this group of players around him, I'm seeing a new level almost – not every game, but most games. So like we had the 18 and the 20 assist game and those were crazy. Those were great. But I will take the player that I've seen in the last two games over that player because what I'm seeing is that he's not making as many mistakes, number one. Uh, you know, I think what he have like two two turnovers in the Knicks game. But he's also, he's finding a way to make everyone better. And in uh, like the beginning, I think you can find a way to get guys open shots and, and they're scoring and, and they hit their open shots. But that doesn't mean that it's in the flow of the offense. It doesn't mean that, that it's working 100% of the time. It just means that for one moment you made a pass that caught a guy 
in perfect position, which is one of the things I love about him. He he throws passes that are in the per, per, that leaves a teammate in a perfect position to score. Uh, but now what we're seeing is he's not just putting guys in the exact you know a spot that he needs them. He's now allowing them to do what they do best. I mean, the pass he had a rebound in the Knicks game. That was incredible. He chased down uh, like a, a long rebound that took a really high hop. He went up, got it. He tripped. And on his way to the floor, he threw a three-quarter length pass to Omri Caspi in stride for a dunk. And I, I find that what he's doing, maybe maybe the last couple of games what we're seeing is that Omri Caspi was the, the missing link in the starting lineup and maybe that that's why Rondo looks like he's in such more of a flow. But it, that's what I mean. It, he has a flow to the offense, a flow to the game now that's different than even when he had higher assist numbers. Now it feels like he's part of something, not just a guy orchestrating and everyone waiting for him to do something. Now it feels like he's part of something bigger. And I think that that's how the Kings will grow out of this. The other way, I think you're right. It might have just been a lot of empty stats in games that you either won or lost by lots of points. And now it feels like the Kings are in every game. They don't know how to win yet, but they're in every game. And uh, we'll see how they build from here. There's a lot going on with this, a lot to unpack. But with Rondo, you're right, uh, ups and downs. Um, he's at odds, though. And I think everybody's at odds with the George Carl system. Um Omar Khan, who writes for um, Sacktown Royalty, you know, I've, I've noticed he's picked up on this, and, and I've picked up on it as well. They run the same pin-down play every single time down the floor when they get into the half court. So they get the rebound. That rebound was amazing, by the way. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the kind of the Hail Mary passes that we've seen, a lot of them are ill-advised, but I get it. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that a championship team or a very good basketball team, they don't make mistakes on. They're not trying to th- fling the ball up the court at all costs. And I think that's working out the kinks of this up-tempo system. Um, but it's like the Kings offense has two phases. One is this fast break, and that's very good. And that's why you see all these points in the paint. Carl's system is so misleading at times. There's a ton of points in the paint, and it's mostly coming from fast breaks. But in the half court, they pitch the ball around the perimeter. The ball never makes it inside the arc. They run this pin down play every single time, it feels like. And it usually results in, um, you know, Marco Bellinelli shooting a very long two with his foot about, you know, like one foot in, in, in on the inside of the three-point line. So this offense, I don't believe that this is kind of Rondo's idea, but this is what he's running because this is what their system is. And it doesn't look great. You know, if he's ball, then we need to know that. Or if it's George Carl saying, we're not going to put DeMarcus Cousins in the post. We want him on the outside because we want better spacing. Then I think George Carl needs to come out and say that because it is a mistake of as big a proportion as you could see to not have the NBA's best post player in on that post and touching the ball 75% of the time down there because it does so much to put pressure on the defense right now. Other teams in the NBA are laughing at the Sacramento Kings because of what they're running. When you have a guy on the post like DeMarcus cousins, not only are you getting pressured by foul trouble, 
but everything is working outside in. It's kind of like the triangle offense when Phil Jackson talks about it. He talks about penetration from the pass. The ball has to get inside the three-point line because you're causing the defense to then collapse. And when you pitch it out, because he's invariably, invariably going to be double-teamed, now guys that maybe have you know not the explosion that they once had like Rudy Gay, now they've got a defender charging at them. They can take a three or they can run by their defender, dribble by their defender, and all sorts of havocs being wreaked. None of that's happening in the half court for the Kings, but you saw it on, on small occasions last night. They started the game with a couple of post-ups. You could almost tell that that was maybe to appease some of the critics out there. Um, and then late in the game, when the pressure was on, they went to the post, and that was where we saw the Rondo dunk. But for the vast majority of the game, they did not do that. DeMarcus is a guy that likes to float and, and, and kind of linger outside. If you encourage him to do that at all, he might just go ahead and do that. With George Carl's uh, pace and space system, they're sorely wrong. So if they, if they figure it out and if they put DeMarcus on the post, I think you're going to see great things out of this team. I think they will make the playoffs. If they don't, I think it's going to take them another 20 games to figure it out. And they'll probably be in too much trouble to make a serious run. Okay, I I take a different side to this because while I agree that I would like to see DeMarcus Cousins in the post more, and I'm not going to argue that point, I think DeMarcus is what you said. He's one of the most dominant players in the post in the NBA, but he's not when he's got no legs. And what we've seen over the last, what he's been back, what, six games since the back injury? the first four games he had no lift at all he had no body at all and so he's just laying on people in the post and that doesn't work we've seen him miss a lot of shots he he hasn't been able to get up and grab a rebound I mean he's really really hurt this team with his inability to rebound uh, at the same clip that he was before you figure the difference between you know 13 rebounds a game which is what he was averaging early in the season and nine rebounds a game it it doesn't seem like that much but you're talking about four different possessions and in a game where you win or lose by what they've been winning or losing by two three four points four possessions is huge and 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 i'm just gonna say i think the cousins on the perimeter doesn't work for me when he's got no legs either but cousins in the post doesn't work when he, he can't get off the ground and get around just even like really really suspect players that he's not been able to dominate and so i'm going to give carl a little bit of a break when it comes to what he's trying to do here i like cousins dragging big men outside burying threes and then running right past them i i think those the dribble drive and the three-pointer are two weapons but they should be two of like the three or four weapons that you see from cousins because i think cousins has so much more game I can I can live with the the dragging, um, you know, the the trailer on the fast break threes, and I think that's a good way to implement. You know, you got a guy like Robin Lopez who can't move very well, and a lot of the bigger centers in the league, and most of the centers in the league that Demarcus Cousins can take off the dribble. I think that's a good opportunity to try that stuff out. It's kind of like Andre Drummond; he leads the league in post touches, but he's not taking a tremendous amount of shots down there. You you, and kind of like Marco Bellinelli where he's not hitting a tremendous amount of shots right now. But people respect Marco Bellinelli as a shooter. He still has gravity, so that pulls the defense out towards him. 
when you pass the ball into Andre Drummond, he's not a great passer, but it causes the defense to react. DeMarcus Cousins standing on the perimeter as a, quote, spacer, it's just bailing the defense out. And I guarantee you every scout in the league is laughing at that as an offensive strategy. Um, having him down in the post, even if you pass out of the, out of the double team, that will come. The, I don't think other teams are saying, oh, DeMarcus can't hurt us down here. They're going to come with the double team. And now you've got capable shooters surrounding him that can bury the three-point shot. So I'm not going to let Carl off the hook on this because this is an offensive theory issue. And it's, it's something that we know Vivek wants to see as an up-tempo pace. There's a marriage of, of ideas. You know, I think Vlade appreciates the up-tempo pace, but the particular spacing of the, the spread system requires the big man to stay at the top of the key and set screens and keep bodies out of the paint. The takeaway there is you're, you're removing one of the league's best post players from the post and you're making this scatterbrained offensive system the responsibility of Rondo to make look good every night when in reality you can get all the good stuff out of Rondo but take a ton of pressure off of him and put DeMarcus Cousins down there and get the other team into foul trouble. And, and that's just something we haven't seen. And if they don't do it, it's going to put, you know, an unmistakable stink on their season. Yeah, there was, uh, I know last season the Kings led the NBA in free throw attempts. And I know early this season they also led the NBA in free throw attempts. And then they faded. They faded pretty hard on the the free throw. I even... The Knicks game, I think at half they'd only they were like two or four from the free throw line, something like that. Uh, very minimal, and I think the Kings are a little bit afraid to go to the line at this point because Caspi's missed a ton of free throws. Although he hit two big free throws in crunch time against the Knicks, uh, Rondo's missed a ton of free throws, and again he hit two big free throws as well. Uh, I think that that's one of the issues that the, this team does have. I I kind of like the dribble drive when I'm watching it play out the right way, there are moments where um, I, I'm watching them kind of zigzag on the top and then seeing some of these guys that really do have the ability to take guys off the dribble as inline, you know, dribble drive guys, uh, even like Caspi, watching Caspi just tear up Porzingis. To me, that was great to see. Um, he just, you know, stepped back and, and drew the big man out and then the, the Kings cleared out. And he did, they would just let him take him right off the dribble. I thought that that was some good recognition. I think this team is growing. They're figuring out sort of their pluses and their minuses. It, it's a work in progress fully. And a lot of people are are expecting things to like sort of happen instantly. And this is when you take, you put all of the issues that we've had this season into a bucket and you really look at it. And you say, first of all, all of the injuries, the injuries have been brutal, all of the new players. And then you take the new players and the injuries and you try to mix those together and say, realistically, how many games this season has your top eight or nine players actually got to play together? And that the number is very, very small. And so we still have this waiting to see you know, you talked about like the Rondo ingredient, putting the Rondo ingredient. If you get too much of it, it, it takes the, it overtakes the whole entire dish. It just tastes like Rondo, I guess. Um, but, <laughs> but when you're taking ingredients and you're splashing them into the pot, 
and you're leaving them there for a day or two and then you scoop them back out and you put them out on the side and then you throw them back in and pull them out, throw them back in, pull them out. I mean, I, I think this team just hasn't had that moment where everything's been in the pot and simmering and going. And to be honest with you, the Willie Cauley-Stein injury, he's going to be out for a while. Uh, I, I mean, I talked to Willie in the locker room the other night. He actually had a full-fledged open. Uh, it split his finger open. His bone was sticking through. Um, it was just very unpleasant. Um, and, I mean, they're saying four to six weeks. He told me he actually hit the backboard, not the rim, when he went to block a shot late in the game in uh, in Mexico City. But if you take Willie Cauley-Stein out of this, I'm actually okay with it. I don't think Willie Cauley-Stein at uh at his age and his his sort of his development is ready i don't i don't think he was as ready to play huge minutes and if we go back to the beginning of the season i'm gonna point this out do you know what my starting lineup was to start the season what my prediction was and what i thought was the best starting lineup aaron brewski i do know but i'm gonna say this i do not agree with the way george carl handled willie Cauley stein either i think he killed his confidence and i think because of the scatterbrain nature of this offense, it's put him in a in a position where not only was he scapegoat times, I mean, you got defensive lapses all over the place, but Carl doesn't want his rookie to get off easy. That's his style of coaching, so he pulls Willie out. I just don't agree with that stuff. But Willie had one game the entire season where he where he was aggressive offensively. And, and I I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying he's an offensive player, but one game where he showed that he's aggressive he can be aggressive I'm, and he can actually make a difference. All the other just, games, you know, he didn't do it. For a bad defensive team, you know, I think when you have him on the court, and for a while there, all of the metrics supported him being on the court 48 minutes a game, let alone, you know, the, the 15 to 20 he was getting. The uh, It's just, I, I think now that he's been, th- there was a, the, a distinct downward turn in his game the minute his minutes started getting yanked and that's a rookie issue you're not supposed to have that up and down because your minutes get yanked that's something you learn to give the same type of effort to have the same type of confidence whether you're playing one minute or 30 minutes so he failed in that regard uh failed probably a strong word but now that he's been kind of marginalized and minimal uh, minimalized I think it doesn't really impact this team at all the only thing that it does impact the team is that they have to play Costa Kufos and DeMarcus Cousins next to each other, and that's not a good combo. Um, so but they have to work they... it out. They're under, con- I mean, they're both under contract for years. They have to figure out how to play together. And I think this, to just like blatantly throw it out and say, look, because look, the same thing's happening with Collison and Rondo. I mean, we've talked a little bit about that, but I, I was told specifically the advanced metrics of Rondo and Collison on the floor is so abysmal that that they're telling Carl do not play those two together, but there's no way they'll change their tune on that after the last week's worth of stats. But you have to let it work it. You have to let it work itself out. These guys haven't played enough together. This is one of the team's best players. So yeah, of course they got to work it out. The only, if you have a team that plays a small four, it's going to get ugly. And Kufos is another weird piece in this offense where he gets a lot of touches and you almost wonder why he's getting them. And it has to do with the spread offense and the pick and roll. He's the primary screen setter when he's on the floor. They're always trying mostly Rondo, these dump off passes to Costa and he is an automatic shoot guy when he gets the ball anywhere in the paint. The good news is, is that he's pretty good at those shots. So he's, he's not a bad option down 
he kind of it's weird to say that Costa Cufos colors the game when he's in there, but he gets a lot of shots for a guy that, you know, not a lot of people say, oh, Costa Cufos, you know, his offensive game, you got to watch out for. Interesting stuff. Nonetheless, the defensive side is where if they're playing up against a four, neither of them feel incredibly comfortable out on the on the perimeter. And you see that on the switches, which continue to kill the Kings. They've got to stop <laughs> with this automatic switching mantra. It didn't show up against New York because New York wasn't good enough to exploit it. But against Utah, Gordon Hayward was basically directing whatever matchup he wanted. He would just call for the screen that he wanted and then he would get the matchup. And then the, the, the reason why the Utah Jazz got so many threes is because it was so easy to just send the Kings into an automatic scramble based on those switches. So, But the Kings a- let them shoot the three ball uh, for the most part because... Guys like Rodney Hood came in shooting like 24% from three. And they're like, well, go ahead and shoot it. You can't, I mean, you're a good shooter. We know that, but you haven't hit them all season. So go ahead and shoot. I mean, the Kings backed off of some of those players to try to collapse on other players. I mean, that's what we're kind of seeing at this point is that they're they're picking and choosing who they're going to take away from a team. I personally would not let Rodney Hood just sit out there and shoot threes. That guy's a pure shooter and I don't know his numbers coming into the game, but he's a perfectly fine three-point shooter who's been very good this season um that stuff was all defensive breakdowns in my opinion um and that's the problem with this team is so your defense is bad the new york knicks aren't able to exploit that but when you're pulling the ball out of the bucket you need to have an offense that can put the other team back on their heels and you can't be wasting possessions so every time they go down the floor and it's not a fast break and they they take till 10 seconds on the shot clock to start their initial action. And it's the same pin down movements that you've seen all game long. You get a shot that's contested, you know, by somebody that you really didn't want shooting it. DeMarcus Cousins does not touch the ball in the post. We haven't even touched on Rudy Gay, who cannot break his man down off the dribble anymore and therefore should not be a high volume shooter. And he would benefit more than anybody from getting a catch-and-shoot opportunity where a defender is closing out on him because then his game is really smooth where he can just get by a guy. And the minute he can get by a guy, he can do a lot of different things. He has a lot of different ways he can get a shot off and he can be very efficient. But you ask him to break his own guy down, and that's where we see whatever he shot last night, 3 of 15. It's not um, Your defense isn't good enough for you to be wasting possessions on the offensive side. Okay, so two things. Number one, Rodney Hood shooting 29.5% from three uh, right now. So while I I agree he is a very good shooter, he's not a very good shooter right now. And that's, uh, again, the Kings were allowing him to shoot, uh, and they were slacking off because Rodney Hood's not going to take you off the dribble. He's a a set shooter. He is what he is. I mean, he's he's a guy who's going to sit on the perimeter. Uh, Number two, um, when it comes to Rudy Gay, there are a lot of things that Rudy Gay is not good at and is good at. And, and, and I mean, we can get into, we could do a full podcast on Rudy Gay, the actual player. Um, was it, was it three of 15? I'm not sure what he shot against. Uh, actually, it wasn't. I think he, he shot four of 10 against the Knicks. It was four of 16. Maybe, maybe Yahoo's got it wrong or ESPN's got it wrong. No, no. Four of 16 for Rudy, four of 10 for Omri, 12 of 15. Pardon me, 12 of 25 for DeMarcus. 
Okay. Okay. I, I mean, Rudy, Rudy, and 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 Carmelo, who and I've called Rudy kind of like a poor man's Carmelo. Those two are almost facsimiles of each other right now. Rudy they, and they, Carmelo. They, yeah. Yeah. They they literally couldn't get a shot off against one another. Well, <laughs> all here's game the long. Deal. Here's the deal. They they grew up in the same area of Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland. And they played against each other in high school. They have a long history against each other. Uh, Rudy Gay was always, he always looked up to Carmelo because he's two years older than him in school. And, um, and Carmelo was the guy. Everyone talked about Carmelo. Everyone was in love with Carmelo. Uh, you know, he's got that beautiful name that just rolls off your tongue. And when he went to Syracuse, uh, you know, Rudy was a spindly, like skinny kid who no one was recruiting at all. And then as he got later in high school, he got jumped on by, you know, UConn jumped on him and, you know, brought him in. Um, and at that point, he he improved as a player and all that stuff. But um, when I looked at the battle that between those two players last night, look, here here's cut and dry. When I look at the Knicks versus the Kings, if you can take away Porzingis and you can force Carmelo into a bad shooting night, the Knicks have no one else who can beat you. They're absolutely atrocious. They have no offensive weapons at all. Aflalo does what he does. He scores like, you know, 13, 14 points a game. But the in that game, I thought Rudy Gay was the best. It was the best defensive game he's had all season long. I thought that the shots that he took, there were a couple of shots that he took that were mano y mano. I'm going to take, you know, big brother off the dribble and try to score on him. But I thought overall his shots were good shots, but he had no legs because Rudy Gay was actually playing defense. He was expending all of his energy on the defensive end, which I don't know if we can say that more than like five times in his time in Sacramento where he spent all of his energy on the defensive end. But I think against the Knicks, the plan was for him to go one-on-one on the defensive end against Carmelo Anthony, try to take Anthony out of his game, try to limit him as much as possible. And I thought Rudy Gay did a great job of it. Carmelo didn't have a good game shooting-wise. I think he was 7 of 21 from the field. That's not going to cut it if you're the Knicks because they're not good enough to survive a bad game by Carmelo, where the Kings can survive a good game by Rudy Gay because they have so many other scoring options. Yeah, I think if you talk to the Knicks fans and the the writers over there, they are fed up with uh, Derek Fisher and his, you know, he doesn't play the kids. And it's... At this point, Jerry and Grant played three minutes. Uh, Langston Galloway played 18 minutes. These are the only guys that have the athletic ability to add something to what Carmelo and Kristaps Porzingis bring to the table. And yeah, it might look bad at times, but kind of one of the worst kept secrets in the NBA. So you're right. There's not a lot there. Um, I'm going to, I mean, I kind of disagree on the Rudy Gay defense thing. I just, too high or too low on that stuff. I think the Kings played pretty well defensively because they brought their energy and that, it, you know, a TNT game, you could tell they were all jacked up. And then the Knicks didn't expose the weaknesses of the Kings, which is the off-ball stuff, the defense. And there's still plenty of stuff that you could complain about. But the Knicks really, they're so vanilla with what they do that the Kings never really had any pressure put onto them. And as far as Rudy Gay goes, he did expend quite a bit of effort on that end. So that, you know, in its own is a positive thing. Um yeah, I just think the Knicks lack talent. I do. They and, just, yeah, it's and like, I think and Utah, that's why I don't... same thing. Utah lacks talent. And once you get beyond uh, Favors and Hayward, that team is not very good. And, you know, we saw the, the blueprint that the Kings brought into 
the OKC game, which was a tremendous game. And I swear, it, you had DeMarcus Cousins miss two free throws in the, in, at the 43-second mark, and you had Rudy Gay miss a, a dunk where he tried to hammer it down where all he had to do was just lay it in. Uh, if those two things don't happen, the Kings beat OKC. But the blueprint that the Kings took into the OKC game is what they took forward into the next two games. And that is, if we can limit Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, not limit their scoring output, limit how bad they beat us. Like, we're not going to let them take 25 shots each and just and drop 40 on us. They're not going to do what James Harden did. You know, we're just going to limit them. And both of those guys only shot 13 shots, which is incredible to think that you held Westbrook and Durant to 13 shots apiece. That is the blueprint that they took into the Utah game. They said, we're going to, okay, we were able to limit Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. Next, we're going to try to limit Gordon Hayward and we're going to try to limit Derek Favors. We can limit those two players. Who on the Utah Jazz is going to beat us? And then you take it to the Knicks game. We're going to take away Porzingis. We're going to take away Carmelo. Who is going to beat us? And the answer is none of those teams have someone else that can beat you. It's just the reality of the way that those teams are built. I disagree with you on the Jazz. I think even without Rudy Gobert, they're a playoff team in the West because they're well-coached. And the guys, you know, Rodney Hood has actually been really good this year. So is uh, Alec Burks. And I like Alec Burks. Got, yeah, he's been good. But they're, they're, they're like Rodney Hood's been a primary playmaker for them, mostly in the first 10 games. He stepped back because Gordon Hayward has reclaimed his position at the top of that pecking order. Um, but the guy in the OKC game that really made a lot of that possible was Darren Collison because he's got this really unique defensive profile where athletic guys like Russell Westbrook and even guys like Steph Curry. If you're looking at a prototypical Stephen Curry stopper, you need him to be very quick, as quick as they come. Yes. To take away Stephen Curry's left and right, meaning like, can he go left and can he go right? And if, if these guys, like you could see Russell was sizing him up and saying, oh, you know what? I just can't blow by you. And that takes away a lot of my game. So I'm going to have to either post you up or I'm going to have to work a little bit harder to get my shots. Um, you know, and he gets I didn't into really you early. He gets into you early, too. That's the well, other he's thing a demoralizer. Same with Steph. When they start, when you're demoralized on defense, then it's over, and team because everybody starts over helping, and then everybody's open. Um, and that's what you saw against OKC is is he's not able to demoralize Darren Collison, and so other guys can stay on their guy, and it's just a team wide effect. I didn't like the way that the Kings played in OKC. And to your earlier point, talking about you know the Kings are nine and fifteen right now, and they haven't played well. I, they've played, in my opinion, all year, they've played very, very bad. And that's a great sign <laughs> for this team. Carl, Carl thinks they've played really, really good. Just You know, and I'm won. glad you brought that up because people <laughs> ripped on him for his statement. He said that they had a great defensive game. I was behind him when he said they played well in the Charlotte game. I went through the tape. They did. They played pretty well. Yeah. He said it was a good defensive game. And to come watch the film... I'm sorry, George. I wouldn't even take the time to go do that because that was the most terrible defensive game I've seen a team play in a very long time. I'm not counting the Sixers because they do that every night. But this team has not played well, and that's great news for them because they're 9-15. and 15. I think they're playing right around 60% of their capacity, you know, that they've got another 40% better that they can play. And... That I mean, two and a half games out in the West, I, I, I think there's a real 
they survived the first storm that we talked about. The second storm, you know, could be these losses to, to not so great Eastern Conference teams. You know, the being eight and fifteen, the being nine and fifteen, and winning the game against the New York Knicks and to stay near five hundred could be the second storm. And I don't know what the third storm will be. I'm sure they'll figure out something. I think but the just second survive. storm. The second storm it, was that the Mexico City thumping. Yes, followed by the, yes. the Houston the Houston Rockets. That was a storm. And I thought that Even the way the, that they came out in OKC and actually hung, I, I think that showed you that maybe there is some resiliency to this team. Maybe they can turn the page. Not buying the OKC thing, but I think that the resiliency is shown in the last two games against Utah and against New York, and they've got something to build on. And that's going to be because if this team clicks – there's a reason why I picked them to win 47 games. Rondo is good. Darren Collison is good. Rudy Gay can be effective. DeMarcus Cousins is one of the most dominant players in the league. Omri Caspi fits this team very well. Marco Bellinelli hasn't looked anything like he's looked at previous stops. Seth Curry is a basketball option. I mean, the list goes on and on. Kufus, this can be a good yeah. team. Kufos has been one of the best players on the team. He adds a dynamic defensive-offensive element. And you do get Willie Cauley-Stein back later in the year. Hopefully he can play some good defense and really round this team out. I do think this team has a future. So I'm I, I'm optimistic. I agree. I agree. And, and I think there was one point I was going to make earlier. We can't keep going all day. This is uh, uh, one of our longer long, uh, podcasts already. Um, but I think one of the reasons why I keep saying that you have to let this team grow together, you have to let them simmer down, is uh, simmer in the pot, is that... I think if you look at Kufis and Cousins together on the floor, does it work? And I think your initial answer is no, it doesn't work. But have we seen it work with a healthy Darren Collison for long stretch? Have we seen it? Have we seen the Collison and Rondo matchup with a healthy Demarcus Cousins? Because that is where we haven't quite got to see the metrics with a healthy team, and that's why I keep saying like let them figure it out it's not it's not cut and dry that that cousins and kufas can't play together for at least 12 minutes a night it's not that cut and dry if collison and rondo or if ben mclemore is being aggressive it changes the dynamic of what those players do if the starting lineup is with you know, if caspi is playing primarily with those two guys how does that look we haven't had enough time to see how Groups of three, groups of five, all, all of these different pieces fit together in the flow of a game because it's possible that while Kufos and Cousins aren't a natural fit together, they might be a natural fit with a three-guard set. They might be a natural fit with a bigger set. I mean, So you, you see what I'm saying? Like we haven't had enough time and George Carl hasn't had enough time to experiment with all of these pieces. I think a four-day layoff in the middle of December is the perfect thing for the Sacramento Kings. They're going to be. They're going to come back healthier. They're going to come back uh, with a better game plan. A you know George Carl's already talked about philosophical and conceptual changes to defense. You cannot do those in a in a one day shoot around. They this four day break where they're going to practice. They're going to watch a lot of film. They're going to work on working together as a team. I think this is a huge thing for the Kings. Yeah, I'll close it out because I know we got to run here. The The next opponents here are Houston, Minnesota, Toronto, Washington, Indiana, Portland, then Golden State, who might be undefeated at the time, Philadelphia. That closes out the month of December. 
those are all winnable games. Uh, even the Golden State game, because um, you know if they're still undefeated, the Kings beating the Warriors would be a very Kings thing to do. Eighty-two. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I know, right? Eighty-two. Um, I, I think this team will hit its stride in the months of January and February, and that's. I mean, again, I, I just think that there's a lot of reason for optimism. They've survived the storms, and you know, the. <laughs> They're only playing about as half as good as they can play. So yeah, I, I think realistically, it's really amazing to watch what's happening here. The Kings could actually come out of the month of December after everything that we've seen that's gone on, that's gone wrong. They could come out of the month of December at five hundred or close to it. That would be that would be amazing. And, would be amazing. and good for me. It would be very good for me. It would be good for your bet. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Uh, we will be back next week. We will have a guest. Everything will be back to normal. Hopefully, I, I haven't looked at the schedule. Hopefully, we won't have a Thursday night game so it won't come out so late on Friday. Uh, but, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Get the big man in the post. I know. That was coming. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in to the Kings Insider Podcast. 